Welcome into the Esports Network podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and my guest today is Danny Howard. He's an esports and combat sports analyst. He writes about betting, boxing, and esports, especially the fighting game community. Thanks for coming on the show, Danny. Mitch, I would say it's a uh, pleasure to be back on the show with you after after the last time we talked, but I consider it more like an honor. Oh, I thank you. Unfortunately, we're not having such a lighthearted discussion as we had last time on this show. We're covering some very tough topics. As any gamer knows, this has been a very brutal week, and especially in the fighting game community. This last week, gaming has gone through a Me Too movement. That really was a long time coming. Uh, and there have been tons of accusations from all over the gaming world, but the FGC has seen a high number of them. So for this episode, we're just going to focus on the fighting game community, but want to acknowledge everyone in the gaming community who's spoken out about different issues, and hopefully we can move forward from this point. As a warning, this episode is going to talk about really horrible accusations that include pedophilia, harassment, abuse, and sexual assault. While important topics, we acknowledge these issues may be hard for people to listen to, and in addition, the combination of anger and sadness, both from my part and Danny's, has permanently removed our filters, so this show will be marked explicit for language as well. For clarity, all the things we talk about right now are allegations as they stand, but research has found that 95%, and I'll link the citation to that research in the bio, of people who speak out about sexual abuse, harassment, and rape are, ten are telling the truth. While these people haven't been found guilty in a court of law yet, we need to believe people when they speak out about their experiences because in the vast majority of the time, they're telling the truth. These are all credible claims with various levels of proof and corroborating witnesses sharing stories as well. But as they stand, all claims are currently alleged and in various stages of potential legal processes. Before talking about the issues, I do want to commend everyone who spoke out about their experiences for the courage it took to do so. While this episode is focused on the FGC, the gaming community as a whole has swept these issues under the rug for far too long, and this reckoning was coming. It's been a brutal week for all of us, but outing these people in powerful roles is crucial to creating a better gaming world going forward. Danny, any other comments before we start the show? Uh, you know, now's not the time to stay silent, be ashamed, or otherwise uh, keep uh, keep this uh, holding on. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the people who have been named in the past couple of weeks who have come forward have probably made the most difficult decision in their lives. It's probably been uh, grinding away at them for years, and now they've determined that it's their platform to come out and speak. Uh, so uh, I support them 100%. I stand by them 100%, and I do believe that as dark as these moments have been, not just for what's happened over the past couple of days and what may come forward, God knows what else, uh, but for uh, for everyone, anyone that's wondering, is it is there a good time to speak out or should I keep it to myself? I mean, um, now's not the time to keep the skeleton in the closet anymore. Uh, and uh, what happens now may lead to something better in the future, uh, a better community, uh, a better industry in terms of esports, And, uh, you know, maybe this fiery apocalypse may turn into a, a beautiful new beginning for not just this community, but for all gaming in general. Certainly hope so. It's, uh, as you said, these skeletons have been affecting people for a very long time. So while they may now be public knowledge, all of these issues, these allegations, these incidents over time have had a massive effect on a lot of our friends and colleagues in gaming and in the fighting game world. 
and now that they're out in the open, we could share it and, you know, how much pain those people felt seeing their abusers in these cases uh, still holding massive roles, still competing in tournaments is impossible to comprehend. And by, by outing them, we've seen some real change, uh, at least some awareness of what's happened uh, in these skeletons that have existed in fighting games for well for far too long. Uh, to start this show, we're just going to run over some of the accusations uh, just to get an idea of the severity and breadth of these issues. And this is not every accusation. More are still coming out every day. I just saw one about 30 minutes before we started recording the show. But these are some of the most impactful ones shared so far. Again, just focused on the FGC here, but I'll also link a compilation of accusations from across gaming in the bio to this show. In addition, I'll link the twit longers of every accusation I mentioned in the bio as well, so you can see the source material and read those stories for yourself. It's really incredibly important to actually read these stories and listen to these people who've had the courage to speak out. The first accusation we're going to cover is towards Joey Mr. Wizard Quillar. He was the co-founder and president of Evo, and Mikey Crackprawn Fam spoke out about Quillar paying arcade tokens for teenage boys to strip down to their underwear and jump in freezing pools. He also talks about a time when Quillar made a bet with him on the size of his penis, which ended with Quillar coming into the stall where Fam was measuring with a ruler when Fam was just 17 years old. In light of these allegations, Evo has been canceled this year and is distancing itself uh, from Quillar. Another allegation came towards Mike, Mike Z. Zaymont, the developer of Marvel v. Capcom 2 and Skullgirls. A cosplayer spoke out about sexually advancive, awkward texts received by Mike Z. In addition, a horrible Black Lives Matter joke was also posted. The developer has been separated from Skullgirls, but some players are still saying they won't play the game. Oh, well, just with regards to uh, to Mike, I don't believe Mike was the develop was a developer for um, MVC2, but I mean, he was the Mike Z became Mike Z during uh, the Marvel vs. Capcom 2 era. I mean, his rise to prominence that led to Skullgirls, uh, he, he started off in the community, became most well known in the community, like uh, like Joey and some of the other people will talk about. Uh, back around this time frame. So these guys all kind of came up together and have now been elevated to senior roles or assumedly senior roles in the, the community, which, and some of these allegations, again, began over a period of some, in some cases, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, these are deep-seated issues, and I appreciate that correction. Danny is uh, much more knowledgeable about the FGC and the fighting game world. We're going to be talking about the use of the word FGC and if that's permanently been marred after after what it apparently stands for uh later in the show we're going to be diving into a lot more of the implications of these allegations being people dropped from rosters evo being canceled uh the fgc protecting minors in esports all of that but first we just wanted to run through some of the allegations just to make sure that everyone was on the same page of what we're talking about the seriousness of what we're talking about so i appreciate that correction there danny it definitely helps he was not a developer on Marvel v. Capcom 2, but that's where he became famous in the community, and then was a developer on Skullgirls. Um, moving on over to the Smash community, which has had a massive pedophilia problem, uh, apparently. We have Nairo. He was a Smash Bros. player and streamer, and he was accused of sexual abuse by Captain Zack when Zack was only 15 years old. Now Energy has dropped Nairo after these allegations. 
Yeah, and uh, it's it's that's kind of a, kind of rough. I mean, the, the Smash stuff. I mean, has been taken a lot more of the uh, the news cycle with regards to what's going on because of the popularity of Smash, not just uh, as a in terms of sales numbers, but again, uh, it, its uh, association with Nintendo and Nintendo's uh, reputation as a uh, family-friendly company, uh, that definitely has uh, made the news cycles. I think USA Today reported on it um, yesterday with regards to uh, the, the numerous allegations with not only with uh, Nairo, but also with uh, Senpai. And and uh, and uh, we're hearing more about the situation with Anti and T1, uh, with T1 dropping Anti uh, because of the allegations that he had, um, he had a sexual relations with a minor uh this one is is taking a is a, taking a big look uh, making everybody kind of take a look at the community in general uh but uh that one is is to me has uh it seems to be like it might be the most volatile of uh, more volatile of the situations considering it smash has just such a wide influence on the not just on the in the fgc in terms of the tournament scene but in terms of pure sales numbers um this is probably the biggest game that's being involved in, in these incidents. Yeah, and then it's attached to Nintendo, which, you know, some of those other companies, Capcom, um, Namdai Banco, like Bandai Namco, um, are, are big companies, but Nintendo is just an absolute giant. And so we're going to be talking, too, about how much Nintendo knew about this and why they've kept the Smash community at arm's reach for a very long time especially in the melee years we were all like why is nintendo not supporting well uh, these deep-seated issues may have been part of the reason why that company never fully supported the fighting game esports scene so you mentioned the allegations towards anti as well that's jason bates and his uh allegation came from a woman named samantha uh, according to her post she initially lied about being 18 years old on tinder but then when she met up with Bates, she told him he was she was 15 and they still hooked up. Bates told her to lie about her age, saying she was 17, about to turn 18, and she complied, but that Anti knew about her age. Anti denies these allegations, says that Samantha never told him about her age, and he thought that she was 18 the entire time. Regardless, he's now been dropped by T1 Sports Entertainment. Yeah, and uh, you know the this is we're going to see a lot more of sponsors that are going to be getting that are going to probably take preemptive action. Uh, I don't know if we'll have time to get to this, but we uh, but we this a similar thing, not necessarily similar, but we've we had an instance where Evil Geniuses dropped uh, dropped Chris G uh, about a week or so ago for uh, unearthing some tweets that he made three years ago, and they opt they decided that in light of the social climate that now is the time for them to take action against him. And they dropped him out, out just after for a three-year-old tweet. So uh, sponsors are going to be sponsors have pulled out from Evo, which we'll talk about in a second, but um, this is going to be something that I feel hasn't, we haven't seen the end of yet. Uh, so in the coming days, we're going to see a lot more uh, sponsors, maybe dropping players or taking a back seat or having them, you know, maybe take a back seat to uh, sponsoring players or be more hesitant of who they have on board now. Yeah, and that's what we need to talk about a little bit too after we cover these allegations is the uh, the various levels of seriousness. There are, you know, having a bad tweet, and I didn't see the Chris G tweet, but having a bad tweet from three years ago, I don't think anybody would argue is on the same level as engaging in pedophilia. 
there's clear differences, but in these social climates, it can be very damaging. And if your name gets brought up, the organizations need to distance themselves. And it's important to remember that the allegations are the most serious part. Chris G having a bad tweet from three years ago and being dropped from EG sucks for him for sure. But if that's the byproduct of having all these people speak out about pedophilia and these horrible abuse and people believing them and taking them at their word and dropping these players, that's a good thing. We need to focus on the really serious allegations. And there's going to be some other ones too that always get brought up in ways to discredit. It's happened in the gaming community a couple of times. A couple of the allegations were not true or somebody had they're like oh no actually this is not true and people use that to discredit all the people speaking out and that's a very horrible thing to do so the final allegation we mentioned and we're going to cover here uh, before jumping into some of the wider issues was cine uh, simpai and this one was really horrible there's video proof of her uh, and Sinpai is a female Smash Bros. player, and she was accused of pressuring Pape into oral sex and hooking up when Pape was only 14 years old. Sinny was 24 years old at the time of the alleged abuse, and there are videos of the two of them where Sinny is two feet taller than a 14-year-old Pape, um, being very touchy, uh, going for kisses, all this really horrible, damaging stuff, and... So that's another allegation. She's been basically blacklisted from the community and Pape spoke out about his experiences. And it's important to remember as well that this goes both ways and that while the majority of these cases are men perpetrating it, it's uh, men perpetrating it to men, it's women perpetrating it to men, it's men perpetrating it to women. This is a societal issue and uh, a fighting game issue. Clearly, when you have all these different cases, that's a systemic problem and so we're going to be talking a little bit about that we also want to mention too there were a couple bands for very prominent fighting game members including low tier god uh christina Cerablast tran and former evo champion f champ uh for racist or misogynistic comments on uh, social media platforms they've all been uh banned from their respective uh either youtube or twitch wherever they're streaming or posting videos well, what a depressing fucking week, Danny. Uh, you're telling me, man. I mean, um, not def- not a good way to uh, start your morning, begin your afternoon, or end your day. It's been it's been absolutely brutal, and that too with the um, passing away of Wreckful yesterday too. It's just been uh, the hardest week to be a gamer and to see this community just have so many issues and problems um and they're coming to light and we think that's a good thing but as they come to light the toll that takes is uh uh, just so so brutal so as we look at some of the larger repercussions i think we have to start with evo late last night we're recording this on friday afternoon you're gonna and i'm gonna post it on friday afternoon as well uh late last night evo was canceled because of those accusations towards co-founder and president uh mr wizard Evo was already being held online and the new allegations could have a very damaging lasting effect on Evo. It's gone this, this year. I mean, it was supposed to start July 4th. So it was supposed to start tomorrow and it's been 
canceled. It was. I think we both agree it's the right choice to cancel this week. But is this something that permanently changes Evo going forward? Can we go back to 2021 and have Evo like we did in the past? Or is this going to permanently change how we see this event? Well, Mitch, I would say that maybe Evo does come back next year. But I personally believe that there is no better time than right now to rebrand it. Now, in the event, in light of all things that are happening right now, we, another thing that's happening that's kind of happening in another in another uh, in the NFL right now is we're having the issue of the Washington Redskins potentially changing their names now that there's pressure that the Redskins will finally change their names and rebrand. I think evolution is going to need a rebrand. Uh, I think that would only be good for everybody involved, considering the nature of these allegations, uh, tournament uh, sponsors such as Capcom, Bandai and whoever else. Uh, will probably be more comfortable sponsoring an event that's not linked to these uh, terrifying allegations. Uh, but uh, Evo has always been with a cornerstone tournament of the fighting game community. Now, admittedly, uh, over the past few years with the advent of esports and the FGC moving from more of the grassroots and the local arcades to a more global scene, the uh, significance of being an Evo champion has kind of been, uh, I don't want to say it's been diluted, but let's face it, there are, the tournaments are being more publicized every year and Capcom has the Capcom Cup, which pretty much determines the champion of, uh, of, their, of, of Street Fighter and whatever else. And, and Tekken is doing their thing with the Tekken World Tour. So I think that, uh, that this might be a prime opportunity for Evo to no longer be Evo I mean, and rebrand for next year to separate themselves from what happened, uh, from what happened in light of recent events. Yeah, it's when it's the co-founder, it's especially difficult to ever separate the event from who he was and the role he played. Now, being president and former CEO, we had a lot of influence. But as he founded the event and helped found it, he's been integral to Evo over the years. And now it's, you know, it's horribly He's got these horrible skeletons, as we keep saying, these horrible history back, dating back to the days of fighting games and arcades. And as we look at how fighting games are being affected and this globalization, the you know ascension of fighting games from these small communities into much bigger global esport, it feels like a good time to just, you know, scrap these people that have been leaders in the fighting game community, but have been abusing that power clearly for so long and create maybe a more um, formal esports ecosystem uh, away from some of these people who have been backbones of the fighting game community for so long because their reputation and the things they've done were horrible. And so we need to create maybe a new, a new look for fighting games and for uh, these different tournaments that have existed for so long. It just feels like the only way forward. Well, I think the only way forward is going forward. Uh, you know, the the thing is, is that the fighting game community has always been very close knit, and. It's just that now it's always also been very hesitant to move forward with the whole esports movement. But there, that's not to say that the community itself is uh, the community itself is 
all bad. Uh, there are some people that uh, that I do feel are are excellent representatives of the FGC, the modern day FGC, this new FGC transition esports uh, platform. Guys like uh, like 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 Punk for uh, he's he I feel is a, an excellent ambassador to the sport. Uh, Hollywood Rob TV, who is a very visible person in the community, who's also I feel uh, one of uh, who I think is maybe potentially one of the cornerstones of uh, of this of the community going forward uh you do have uh very prominent figures that are still contributing that have voiced their opinion uh, voiced their dissatisfaction with uh, or even stepped away from evil like james chen for example who's been involved for a very long time in the fgc has denounced what happened and is stepping away from commentating duties uh but I do think that the FGC has no choice but to face the evolution of their platform. Uh, I thought personally that when Riot was going to release their their fighting game, that that was pretty much going to turn the grassroots, uh, kind of kill the grassroots movement because uh, that there was a no comp- competition clause. You couldn't play any other game if you wanted to play Project L. Uh, but what ended up becoming the flashpoint that changed everything is that the, 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 the foundation of which the community was built upon, like these, these foundational people, uh, these instances, they've been around for so long that it's kind of like the core may have began to rot a long time ago when they started seeing that everything else was changing and they decided to stand still. But instead of, of uh, of them stopping stopping the movement, they ended up kind of like just you know rotting, and and now everything is coming out, which is why we're seeing some of these horrifying things just come to light. And not to mention, we don't have anything to do right now. You know, we're all kind of sequestered at home because of the coronavirus. We're not traveling to events. We can't. You know, I hate to put it this way, but we can't distract ourselves with anything else that's going on. So we all have a chance now to do a lot of uh, self-reflection and, and to, you know, really just put our, our, our eyes on things that maybe we were able to, to ignore because of, uh, because of, of everything else. But now everything is being put under the microscope and, uh, we're kind of seeing things, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we're seeing these skeletons come out of the closet, but they they should have been, this, this should not even be an issue anymore, but now it's, it's the time to make this an issue and now is the time to fix this issue and and hopefully from all of this a new community is born one that's more tolerant one that's more uh disciplined uh with regards to uh with you know terms of conduct and 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 rules with regards to tournaments uh but uh you know i kind of feel i kind of feel that uh you know the there had to be a fire you know and then and upon upon the upon the ashes a new foundation is built yeah we need to disrupt the status quo in some way and this pandemic you know we've seen it as well with a lot of the social movements and a lot of the protests too is the the pandemic gave a lot of people a chance to slow down and be like wait this is horrible there there's some really big injustices happening in this world and uh, somehow the pandemic caused a reset and it's it's created a lot of social movements out of it for the better there it's really difficult to be confronted with these issues over and over again but these are issues that affect marginalized people and have affected people for a very long time 
And it's good that we're talking about it now and getting this out to hopefully move forward, like you say. Uh, so I want to look at, as we talk about some of these allegations, by and large, coming from the Smash community. Uh, and that's you know a section of the FGC. In fact, a lot of people argue that Smash is not part of the FGC. They're a different um, game entirely, even though they're wrapped into Evo over the years and all these different um, FGC events. Do you think this is an FGC issue or is there something specific about Smash that has created a more dangerous ecosystem around it, especially the multiple cases of pedophilia in the Smash community? Is there something that's happened in Smash, be it lack of oversight, be it the people who compete in it that has made this game especially dangerous? You know, I'm going to say uh, I'm one of those who believe that Smash is a part of the fighting game community. Just again, um, you don't play Tetris at Evo. Uh, so if, if your game is at Evo, then by just by association, it's a fighting game. And by association, it's a it's a game that's associated with the FGC. Uh, so I think Smash is a fighting game. But I also do feel that Smash, the problem with the Smash community um has the smash community does have more of a reputation of its toxicity and we've seen several instances of this beyond this point but what makes smash a kind of bigger offender in all of this is that smash is not marketed the same way like street fighter tekken soul caliber king of fighters and all these other games are marketed towards smash is marketed as a as a casual game that can be played by family by a family friendly company in nintendo um and uh, I think that the instance is, is that, you know, when you have Smash tournaments, uh, you are going to get people that are younger. Minors are going to want to participate because these are games that their parents buy for them and they are playing since they are, you know, very young. I mean, uh, I mean, the first Smash Brothers came out when I was roughly around like 10, 12 years old. Uh, and then it's only become a much bigger franchise, even bigger than Street Fighter and Tekken. So uh, I want... I, I think that the the issues that Smash has isn't necessarily an FGC issue, uh, but it is a bigger issue because Smash is in a lot more households and it's marketed to an entirely different section than the traditional games. It's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, Smash, I've, I've played Smash my entire life, basically. I, the, from N64 to GameCube to now having it on the Switch, like I've almost always had access to Smash Bros at some point. I can't say the same about all the other fighting games that have come and gone over the years. You know, I, my parents weren't allowing me to play Mortal Kombat. But um, you could play Smash. Old. Yeah, but I could play Smash. It's exactly. Mario. That's, exactly. that's no problem. Um, and that's created a family-friendly game. I feel like parents who, let's be honest, most parents, especially parents of esports bros, are not totally familiar with gaming. They see Smash Bros. and they're like, oh, family-friendly game. It's a friendly community. Yeah. And, and on top of that, yeah, that's true. And then on top of that, you look at it from the parents' perspective, especially me. I mean, I my kids aren't old enough to play video games yet, but if I were not a gamer, I would remember when I played Super Mario and Donkey Kong and Zelda. It's like, I was a kid. These are kids' games. And, and now, and then, of course, sure, go play Zelda with your friends. Go play Mario with your friends. What's the, what's the problem? What's, what's the hurt? Right. And then it turns out that there's rampant abuse and uh, you mix these older people in these competitive environments you, you see smash and you're like oh it's it's a casual game look they're throwing items at each other and then you see how serious people take it 
and it creates this really uh, dangerous mix of uh, competitive craziness mixed with very young people uh, in an insulated community that is all very focused on itself with rotting people at the very top of it, as we now know. It creates a very dangerous environment that I don't think even any of us were really aware of how dangerous and widespread these issues were. One question, though, is on Nintendo. We've talked for years about how Nintendo doesn't support Smash Bros. It does not support the esports scene. But we've also, as we learn about these allegations, we realize that these are open secrets in some ways. People who are very into these communities are aware of some of these issues over the past. Is this part of the reason why Nintendo has held the Smash Bros. esports scene at arm's length for so long? You know, Mitch, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think that's the case with Nintendo because the reason Nintendo has backed off from esports, not just from Smash Brothers, but, you know, let's talk, this would also say, you know, for Splatoon, for example, Nintendo's kind of taken a hands-off approach because it's really in terms of, of, the, of their market share with these with, and the player base is that the esports community maybe makes up one, two percent of that title. So it's not in Nintendo's advantage to market towards that. It's more advantageous from the market to the other 99, 98%, right? Uh, Evo, at, at, earlier this year, I think at Evo uh, in Japan, Nintendo didn't endorse Evo, uh, Smash Brothers for Evo, of course. So instead of a cash prize for the game, they had to give out some hokey pokey controller that I believe they the, the winner dropped uh, at the uh, at, when he was presented with the the the, the fabled golden controller. Um, but Nintendo's stance on competitive Smash is has always been that they're more about um, making their games. And this is a quote from Shuntaro Furukawa, who's Nintendo's president. Uh, that they want their games to, quote, be widely enjoyed by anyone, regardless of experience, gender, or age. We want to be able to participate in a wide range of different events. Uh, so Nintendo wants everybody to feel safe playing their games, and they want to maintain, again, that family-friendly image. Uh, why don't you, why do you, haven't we seen, like, you know, uh, I think the most, the highest, I, there's only been maybe a few games from Nintendo that have, with their characters that have been rated T for teen. I think those are maybe some of the Metroid Prime games. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure they're, I think the Metroid Prime games are probably the most um, violent games that Nintendo has put out uh, officially outright from their main characters. But Nintendo actually uh, is just, their stance was that we're not going to really base our marketing strategy on a very small subset of our of our player base. So we're not going to, they're going to buy the game regardless. So our, our work is done. We can live with not marketing to a one or 2% uh, uh, corner uh, as opposed to the whole 98% pie. Definitely makes sense. And you see, you know, how, how many games they've created. You know, Nintendo just has a different mindset for what they're trying to create in their video games as people move towards these more competitive experiences. Nintendo's like, oh, I'm just going to create Breath of the Wild where there's zero online component whatsoever. I'm going to create games like Mario Odyssey where there is no real competition beyond like a balloon hunt mini game. And these different types of games that are not esports, especially as everybody else moves, you know, as for 
decades, Nintendo has zigged when other people sagged, uh, and very successfully, of course. So that does make sense in terms of why they could not support it. But on the flip side, has the lack of support from developers uh, created more problematic environments in the FGC where you have these insulated communities from people who grew up in arcades? When you look at, say, the Activision Blizzard leagues or the or Riot Games franchise leagues or even places like Rocket League or Rainbow Six, you don't have nearly as much widespread issues. So is that a lack of developer function or is that an FGC specific thing that has to do with uh, players being solo for example or the types of venues where events are being played the lack of professionalization that they've so proudly worn as a badge for so long what do you think why has this been a problem FGC specifically and again we mentioned that there's gaming issues as well but the FGC ones have been more pronounced uh, and just just more aggressive more more problematic more dangerous uh, than a lot of the ones we've seen in the gaming world i think it just comes to the personal nature of the games i mean you're you, as you mentioned this is in, these are mostly individual players that are coming in you're not going to have a manager you're not going to have a sponsor that's going to be there to keep their eye on you uh, unless you already have your group of friends that you're going with and again this isn't like league of legends or, or siege where you have a team that you're competing with you're competing on your own I don't know how much uh, interaction Capcom has or, or Bandai has with the tournament sponsors, but you have to imagine that the golden rule is please don't do anything that can compromise our brand. Uh, and that might just be, you know, don't show anything inappropriate on stream. Don't do anything that has our a name officially on it. Like you don't want someone, you know, I don't know, dry humping a Capcom t-shirt to protest the, uh, the terrible net code of Street Fighter V now that everything's online. Um, but I think the issue is like, as far as that goes, is that it's more about having a, a code of conduct outside of the vanilla stuff. Like, listen, don't come to this venue and be drunk or be a dickhead or, you know, or, you know, just be a total asshole on, uh, on stage, you know, uh, just, just, you know, use your common sense. And it's always also been like that honor system too. It's like, you know, just, just play the game and don't do anything here and we can care less. Uh, I mean, that's that's what I feel is more of the problem is that the, the structure and the, the rules and the lockdown of, uh, of having some type of, a, you know, organization, uh, it's possible to have that. But I, I go back a few years ago, almost a decade ago, when Mike Ross, he was very prominent during during Street Fighter Four. He had... Um, him and Gutex had the Excellent Adventure series, which was huge back in the day. Uh, this was like at the dawn of of of, of esports. I feel around that that period of time, and he kind of stepped away from the community because he was upset that everything was starting to get a little more structured and people weren't allowed to show their personality, like the characters of the FGC. Now, from a marketing standpoint. I can understand that because, yeah, you know, if you you don't get the prestige of being part of Team Liquid or the FaZe Clan or, well, I mean, Liquid does get involved with the FGC, but in, in the grander scope of things, you don't get, you're not going to rope in Dota 2 prize money playing Tekken 7. Or you're not going to get stuff like that playing games in the FGC, playing FGC games and winning a lot of tournaments. Um, 
but I do feel that uh, that what has happened is going to allow the tournament organizers to take a step back and say, now is now is not the time to to honor tradition. Now is the time to prevent this from happening because now it's not a matter of the sponsors pulling their money from future tournaments. But now who knows? What if these tournament organizers become liable for incidents that are happening uh, at un, under their purview? They can be they can be sued. They can go bankrupt from who knows how many people want to go forward and collect financial damages from them. It's it's now going to be at the point where the tournament organization organizers are going to have to lock down potentially codes of conduct and universal rules to protect themselves uh, in the process of protecting other people. Yeah, if there's any one thing to take away is we need more oversight. At Absolutely. These events. And someone needs to step up and do that. Be that the game publishers, be that the tournament organizers, be that community leaders, be that even esports organizations to send people uh, along with their players just as like, hey, as even handlers, as people to watch over them. As we've seen, these are a lot of people attached to major esports organizations, T1. Uh, EG, these are the top level of esports organization that has had players doing horrible things without, now again, the nuance is important as we talk about what Chris G did and what Nairo was accused of doing are vastly, vastly different. Yeah, vastly different. But even so, Mitch, here's another thing is this, is that um, unlike Nintendo, Capcom, Bandai, they can't separate from these events. They have to become more involved. So I actually do think that going forward, we are going to see more involvement. I mean, the bans that were that were implemented earlier this year, a couple months ago, those came from Capcom for for uh, Low Tier God, Ceroblast, and uh, and FChamp. Capcom um, uh, took took the took the step forward and said, "You're not allowed at our events." Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised that in light of all of this, uh, Capcom is going to Capcom all the other all the other uh, companies are going to probably be in touch with these major tournaments and say we really don't want our names attached to this. So uh, so um, let's see what you have for us moving forward and let's see how we can proceed. Absolutely. As we talk about moving forward, I think the term FGC and I've used it plenty of times in this podcast. It's about time we examine what that means because this is the fighting game community and it always represented this proud badge of people who uh, built up fighting games into the like esports, but not esports. We're our own thing. Is the FGC tagline, the fighting game community, is that permanently scarred, permanently blackened by? these allegations that come from such prominent members of this community. Uh, do we use the term FGC or should we use the term FGC going forward? I think it's too early for us to really say, Mitch. Uh, I, I think in the long run, things are going to get better. Uh, I think that maybe it might get worse before it gets better. It might get more awkward before it gets better, but being someone who has been going to arcades, uh, who just loves this community, who loves the nature of the competition, the things you just don't get from League of Legends and and all the other uh, other major esports titles, you don't get 
the personal nature of the players and the heat of the competition anywhere else. I think we can still call it the FGC, but I do think that in order for it to mean something positive, the community as a whole needs to not put this in a box and, and put it and put it back in the closet. They need to open this box. They need to unpack it. They need to continue. They need to empty it all out and, and burn it. And at that point, it can stand for something bigger and better than even it was when it was just, you know, you and your buddies going down to an arcade Friday night. And it has to be, I mean, it's, it's no longer this tightly knit community. We're global now. And the fact that the people that have been implicated in this, particularly, you know, like, uh, like Mr. Wizard and, and, and Evo being canceled, uh, maybe that's a sign that the old school has had their time. And it's, and it's now time for the new members of the community to step up and really define what the FGC means going forward in the modern era. Uh, listen, Coca-Cola was new Coke back in the 80s, right? I mean, I mean, it has not, that, that's nowhere near the gravity of things, but, but new, the new Coke had to be rebranded because it just, when they rolled it out, it's like, nope, this, this doesn't work anymore. We've seen constant brands and constant uh, organizations over the years rebrand themselves and still maintain who they were. But in order, again, to build on top of that, you know, you have to have the foundation that it's currently in there now. I think that that brotherhood, that, that respect and that, that close knit uh, relation to each other is still going to be there. But the community itself is now going to rely on its newer players, people who are in the scene now, to really push itself forward and rebrand itself into something wonderful. And I think the potential is there. But uh, but as of right now, um, it's not a good time to to take pride in saying I'm in the FGC. Uh, but maybe there's now is the time to take pride in saying I'm in the FGC and I'm going to be taking steps forward to make my community and make my make my contributions to it uh, ultimately to something that's better than it was before. Right. It feels like the response to these allegations and the way the FGC moves forward out of this is going to be crucial in determining you know what the FGC looks like, because I think we both have very fond experiences uh, with members of the FGC at FGC events. And we acknowledge that most people are good. It just, when there's these sort of things that come from the top level and they've been protected and they've been covered and they've been known, but nothing's been done about them. That's when it becomes a bit scary to look at the FGC and be like, wait, no one did anything. No one, it took a coordinated, not even a coordinated, but it took a couple people to start putting their allegations out there. And then we started to uncover and we haven't even gotten, I'm fully expecting a, another batch of allegations next week. Absolutely. It's been, it's been one or two a day, every day. And I, I missed plenty. You know, we went over five major ones. We talked about some other bands as well. Uh, and there's, there's some other ones like zero was accused as well. And I just don't have all the info uh, on all of these allegations, but we're going to keep seeing these. And so it's, you're right. It's too early to, to make any sort of judgment on the FGC, but how 
the response moves and the acknowledgement of these founding members of the FGC and their issues is going to be crucial in determining whether or not or what the FGC looks like in the future. If, if games split off into their own uh, ecosystems, if Riot coming in really fully splinters a lot of the, the community coming out, we really just don't know. And it's going to be important how people respond to that to figure out what we do going forward. To be conscious of time, I think we need to talk about the most important question. And it's something that I know you as a dad have on your mind a lot. And that's the question is, are minors safe in esports? Um, and there's, you know, plenty of different ecosystems. People have some esports, you can't compete in them until you're 18, some it's 15. Uh, the fighting game community in many ways has allowed people of much younger ages to compete if they're good enough to compete. That again gets back to that lack of oversight. So the question to you, Danny, is are minors safe at these events as it stands right now? You know, Mitch, uh, I kind of like in light of everything that's happened, I kind of feel like, I don't know, I hate to use this term, but I kind of feel like privileged in a way that I was able to go to to some of the events that I went to when I was younger and go to some of the arcades that I went to where some of these guys were like that have come up, these allegations were active. I mean, I'm in my mid thirties at this point. So I, and then being in the SoCal scene, I went to family fun arcade. I went to, I went to, you know, I went to Southern Hills golf land, um, where, where the allegations between Mr. Wizard and Crackpron um, happened. And um, I kind of feel like, you know, I was, I feel kind of like relieved that none of this happened to me. Um, when I look at my three-year-old son and just think of all like my, my nephews and everything else, like, I don't, I don't think I would feel comfortable sending them into something like this. I mean, it's, my idea has been that it's a, it's, if you're a kid, these are video games, right? These are just video games. But when you go to these events, you guys aren't, this is, this is people's livelihoods. This, this is an adult situation. And these are, this is not a, this is not a place for kids to go. This is not like a game bus. Um, this is where people go to make their livings. This is where people go to be adults. Um, you're not going into an environment that really is friendly for kids in any respect. And uh, even if you feel that you have a, even if you feel like you have a mature teenager, just know that uh, you're going into events where they're they're the minority, right? I mean, people that are playing these games are playing in tournaments are in their are you know in their in their twenties and some are even in their thirties, and that's that's who are there. These are people that are playing to make a living, uh, so it's not fun in games for the most part. It's, in some cases, it's life or death. It's my paycheck. Uh, it's, it's rent next month. And I don't think there are any miners out there who are really prepared for the, for that type of environment. So if it were me, I don't think I would feel comfortable sending, sending my son going. And for my, for my, for my, my other, my nieces and my nephews who play, it's like, if it were, I honestly, I feel more comfortable if they were going like for games, like where they have to go with a group of people. I mean, hell, if you if you're you want to support your kids in playing, by all means, but don't but you know, don't you can trust your kids 
but I wouldn't trust the people who are going there. And as a parent, I feel like that's, that's just, that's just me. I can't speak for everybody. And so I won't, but, um, until I see otherwise, uh, no, these, these, these tournaments, uh, be it that it's the FGC and hell, I'll even throw in, why not? Let's just throw in the toxic communities as well. We know how bad things can get for, for Dota and for, for, for call of duty, which their toxicities legendary. Right. But, uh, but if you have a, if you have a child, a teenager, even, you know, you can trust your kid, but do you trust the environment? Do you know what they're going for? And knowing what I, what I know now and seeing what I've been seeing, uh, I, I can't, I can't. I, it's, it's impossible to make the assurance that everything's going to be safe. And even in some cases where, uh, take Puppy, for example, he would travel to regional events with Sinpai. She was one of their like small group of people who traveled to regional events. And if I was a parent, I was like, oh, okay, there's, they have a guardian figure, an older friend who's in this community. And it turns out that she was taking advantage of them when they had a 10 year age difference. That's the kind of story that I'm like, there's no way. I, you just can't trust what happens at these events. I, I, I don't know how we make them that much safer beyond we need to protect things. I think one of the only ways we could really noticeably make things safer quickly is um, for tournament organizers and for these event uh, event organizers to mandate that if a kid is going to compete, they need to be here with a parent or guardian. That that parent or guardian needs to be in the green room and needs to be with them all the all the time, and it's unfortunately the kind of step we need to make things safe because right now they just aren't, like you said. Yeah, it's 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 rough out there, man. And uh, I can tell you though that uh, at the end of the day, uh, I mean, this is just this is just now. You know, video games, competitive gaming is bigger than it has ever been and it's not going away this isn't a niche this isn't a fad this is this is the now and it's going to be the future uh but how that future looks is really going to be determined by i feel what's going to happen over the next couple of months uh when you know when the coronavirus runs its course and things return to whatever normal looks like by this time when we're having in-person competition uh things are going to change and maybe it won't be enough then but it will be enough sooner I feel rather than later, you know what I'm saying? Like, and there might still be bumps in the road. Uh, but, uh, I just, if you ask me today, you know, about minors going into any of these tournaments, uh, I would say not without me. <laughs> right. I mean, I wouldn't, I just don't think that it's, I, you know, and also too, you know, I just think it's like you're a parent, right? So if your kid's playing football or basketball or anything at school, you would probably want to go there not just to support your kids, but also to keep your eye on them. Uh, so I don't feel that esports should be treated any differently from from you know high school sports or anything else. Like if to be there to support your kids, but also as a parent, you know the number one duty you have is to be there to protect 
your children. And I think that's, uh, that's going to be paramount. And I wouldn't be surprised that considering the majority of the allegations that have come up have been, you know, between minors and everything else, uh, that the first thing they're going to address is minor safety going to these tournaments, whether it's an outright ban or, as you mentioned, parental guardian at all times, then um, I think that's the first thing that's going to get checked off the agenda, to be totally fair. I, I think it needs to be checked. And, you know, you make the comparison to sports. I think it's a good one, an important one. Sports have the luxury of being in these formalized structures. They run through schools or through coaches who you know. There's always that guardian figure there, as well as teammates, people of your same age uh, who you compete with in most sports. There's like these levels of inherent protection that esports doesn't have. You show up to events by yourself. You don't have a coach there. You don't have teammates there in the FGC. You're on your own and you're competing in tournaments against people who are eight to 10 years older than you. You're in this same group of them. You're in the green room with them. You're, you brought your controller, you're in the bracket. And so then when they do an after party afterwards, you're going, you go with them. And that's incredibly dangerous. Then you have a 15 year old who might be drinking, who cannot consent for multiple reasons and is around a bunch of 19, 20, 21 year olds who are not, who are not protecting the, the, the 15 year old who's drinking, or maybe are even taking advantage of them maliciously because they see it as something fun to do. Oh, the young kid, oh, the young kid has a beer. It's horribly damaging. And it's something that only really exists in these type of events because all the other ones have all this structure built in that prevents these situations from happening. And esports never has that. And we need it. We, we need it. A hundred percent. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I imagine that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, like this is a, a sort of an apocalypse to this particular scene, because I think that we can't look back at the scene as a whole after this, and go back to sunshine and rainbows. I really don't. Yeah, we never, we, it's important that we talk about this. And that's why it's been so difficult for people is that they don't want to associate their community, sometimes even their friends, people they've watched on stream, people they've looked up to with these horrible things. And we have to, because these things have been affecting so many people in this community and so many more that haven't even spoken out. We have to acknowledge this fact that this community was bad there were there were enough bad actors in it that it was a systemic problem and now we have to acknowledge that fact and hopefully move forward and create a better community out of it but sweeping it under the rug pretending like it doesn't exist doesn't help anything and damages uh the people who've been abused even more so to see their abusers in high profile roles competing in tournaments winning titles is incredibly damaging and so we really need something to change and it starts with people speaking out and hopefully uh, we see some real actionable change in the community going forward i do I, I i do hope so mitch because uh you know as until until my reflexes have left me and age has dulled me to a grinding halt i will still be playing fighting games until uh until uh until i can't i would like for my, my kids, you know, my, my three-year-old son and my soon-to-be-born uh, to follow in my footsteps one day and go further than dad ever did. But uh, uh, hopefully by then, I'll feel a lot more comfortable if they fall, decide to follow in my footsteps. 
I certainly hope so. And I do think it helps to have uh, a generation of, of parents who are gamers and understand these communities. That was one of the other issues as well, was a bunch of parents who didn't understand what gaming was, didn't realize the threat it potentially posed as kids went to go play a, a children's video game, a video game that's rated E for everyone. And, you know, with parents who didn't understand it, it opened up potential. I don't want to like throw parents under the bus here. It's not their fault. But with a generation of people who grew up with gaming, we understand these communities, understand how serious people take it and that there's going to be 25 year olds. There's going to be old people there. And I'm not about to send my 15 year old son off to his tournament and be like, oh, have fun with no oversight. That's not going to happen. And parents are going to demand more structure now that we understand these worlds. Uh, so hopefully that helps change things too. But as it stands right now, it's just a horrible situation um, and something that, you know, has been really tough on all of us, I think. Yep. We are all in the mud together. Well, on that note, that's a really cheery hour-long podcast. To our listeners, uh, if this is your first time listening or um, you're a long-time listener, this is definitely different than a lot of the other podcasts we've done, but an incredibly important topic that we felt that I felt we really needed to cover. Uh, and Danny reached out to me and was like, hey, let's let's talk about some of these issues. I really appreciate him coming on to add his perspective, both as a father and a member of the fighting game community. I think that was really important. So Danny, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Of course, Mitch, anytime. Uh, would you like to, where can they find your work? Uh, follow you on Twitter, all that stuff. He's a, Danny's a really an excellent writer uh, for uh, about betting, about esports, about combat sports. Um, and he's a great dad as well, as you could tell from the show. <laughs> well, you, you flatter me, Mitch, but, uh, but thank you. Uh, you can find me at dbbox625 uh, on Twitter. I am more, most often found uh, covering combat sports, betting news uh, for boxing and MMA at, uh, at Bet America. And uh, you, will, you can see me periodically with my pieces that I write for the eSports Network, as well as The Gamer. And, uh, and otherwise, if you want to play a game with me at Street Fighter V, my Capcom fighting network name is Buff underscore Drink Lots. And I'm more than happy to play a game or two with anybody who wants it. We appreciate that. He's really good. So don't, uh, don't just go step into the ring and think, you're, think you got it. Anyways, to, to all of our listeners, uh, thank you for listening, especially if you took the time to listen to an hour-long podcast about that. It shows you're really absorbing uh, these issues, and that's the right thing to do, even though it's mentally draining, it's exhausting, uh, and it's very tough to do, but it's really important to hear about this, and I appreciate all of our listeners um, for taking the time to really think about these topics and listen to these topics. I think that's really important things to do. Uh, so that's all for the eSports Network podcast. I'll be back uh, next week with a more lighthearted podcast about how uh, the Special Olympics are using eSports to connect kids with disabilities um, together and how accessibility is being improved in eSports and allowing um, the Special Olympics to use eSports in really unique ways and create a cool experience. So if you want a little uh, uplifting talk, at least in in some ways, um, be sure to look out for that next week. Thank you all.